Amen. Good, good evening, family. You know, I was thinking as we were praising God how, how wonderful it is to just come here tonight and rest in the Lord, you know, aside from all the yip, 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 yip that goes on right now, if, you know, the, the news and all the other stuff going on, you know, it, we're here to worship God. And he, he knows all things and he's always good. And he is a faithful God. And we need not panic, we need not worry until God starts panicking, right? And I don't think that's going to happen. So and there was the lyric in one of the, one of the songs, um, in the time in which we live, we rejoice. It's something like that. And, and what a great, appropriate uh, verse that was for tonight. Um, if you would open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8. This evening we're going to be studying verses 49 through 56, and the message is entitled, Faithful God. And Father, we, uh, we know that you are faithful. That is one of your names, faithful and true. And we thank you, Father, that uh, we need not look anywhere else. We need to look to you. To our Abba Father in heaven, our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and, and certainly your precious spirit. So I pray your spirit would, would teach us tonight and encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, whatever your plan is for each of us as individuals, Lord, because you're a very personal God, I pray you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've been looking at, family, we've been looking at the, the, the prayer of Solomon, and last week we looked at seven cases that Solomon brought before the Lord. And we saw many, uh, in, in seven instances where Solomon used the word if, and then it was followed by then. If this happens, then, then you, God, and I'm just going to go through this very quickly. He said, if, if any man trespass against his neighbor, excuse me, his neighbor, then God, and the results of that uh, is last week's message. So, uh, when thy people will be smitten before the enemy, then God hear from heaven. When heaven is shut up and there's no rain, then God hear, hear from heaven. If there be in the land famine and, and etc., there's all kinds of things described in that verse, then God hear from heaven. And if a stranger comes, then hear thou in heaven. And if thy people go into battle, then God, hear in heaven. And if they sin against thee and repent, then God, hear their prayer. And all of those things would come to pass. Every single one of them, they'd be fulfilled. For example, uh, in Daniel in Babylon, having read the prophecies of Jeremiah, he knew Israel would be held captive in Babylon for 70 years. And here's what Jeremiah wrote. He said this in chapter 25, verses 8 through 11, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Because we have not, ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them. 
and make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then Daniel in chapter 9, verse 2, he said, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books, he was a reader, he read the word, by books the number of the years whereof the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, and he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Solomon's prayer, and we see very clearly in this particular instance, very prophetic. It was about 400 years prior. And verse 47 mentioned carried away captives. And, and of course, Solomon didn't understand at the time. But we know, as we just read, that this actually took place. And Solomon said, hear thou from heaven. He's calling out to God, God, hear Hear, hear our cries, hear the things that are heavy on our heart. And I know sometimes when we pray, maybe you feel like God isn't hearing. But know this, God hears. God hears. You know, we've read this particular verse that I'm going to share right now many times this week in anticipation of, of the election in Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. You see, God isn't hard of hearing. He hears. He even hears the cries of our hearts, doesn't he? You know, and, and Paul the Apostle would write to the Romans, he said, even here's the groanings of our hearts, and he's able to interpret those things. So we don't need to shout. We need not feel God in every single little detail because he knows them all. But the important thing here is, as, as it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people humble themselves, in other words, we really need to see who we really are that we are sinners that saved by God's grace. And it should, that ought to bring us to a place of humility. Like, I don't, des I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of this, but God, you're so good to me. So if we humble ourselves, and he says pray and seek the Lord, seek, seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then, God, you'll hear from heaven. Think of Elijah. Elijah, the, the great prophet. Elijah was accustomed to hearing the power of God and seeing great and mighty acts by God. But in 1 Kings 19, it tells us this in verses 11 and 12. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. Now think about that. The wind tore the mountain apart. And broken pieces, the rocks before the Lord. He said the Lord wasn't in that wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Now, those would certainly be attention getters, wouldn't they? But he didn't hear the Lord's voice in those things. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, what was it? A still, small voice. Doesn't it seem some, that sometimes we would like God to shout so we could hear him? But see, it's, it's not God's problem. We ought to be able to hear his still, small voice. God won't shout at us. doesn't work that way. And here's why, because he wants us to settle our hearts and seek him so that we're able to hear him. And oftentimes it means turning off our distractions. Maybe put the smartphone away or turn it off. I know that's not that easy thing to do these days, is it? We get kind of attached to them. We're always tempted to use it. Text message or news media or social thing, whatever it might be, you name it. It's so easy for us to become distracted. And any distraction, think about this, it's, it's noise. It's noise in our heart that prevents us from hearing God's still small voice. So perhaps it's wise for us to remove those distractions when we take that time to sit still before the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, I really need to learn to sit quietly and hear a still, small voice because I fail miserably in that area. I need to learn to practice this. Lord, give me the ears to hear and a heart that is settled in order to hear your voice. Because sometimes, you know, our hearts get stirred up, don't they? We could be sitting quiet, but our hearts are racing, our mind is racing. It seems as though peaceful on the outside, but what's happening inside? We're everywhere. The Lord, settle my heart. David said this in Psalm 23, verse 6. He said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that phrase, dwell in the house of the Lord, it means to sit quietly. And David knew that. He knew the importance. In this passage, Solomon called upon God eight times and said, Hear thou from heaven. Not the passage we're looking at tonight, but the one we looked at last week. Hear thou from heaven. Second Chronicles 7, 14, God said, I will hear from heaven. And however far away heaven is, it's always close enough for him to hear, isn't it? Always. It's always close enough for God to speak to you and to me in a still small voice. Well, let's pick up in, verses 40, in verse 49. We'll read through 51. Solomon said, Then, then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause. And forgive thy people that have sinned against thee, and all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed against thee, and give them compassion before them who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they be thy people, and thine inheritance, which thou broughtest forth out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of iron. Notice he said, out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of iron. And if we think back to the Old Testament, we know that, that Egypt was a place of severe trial and affliction. It's there that God refined them and he delivered them. And God uses his refining techniques to teach us so that we can learn to be still and to follow after him. Isaiah 48 verse 10 says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee 
in the furnace of affliction. And I read that, and I think, oh, isn't there another way? Possibly. God has every means available to him. But sometimes the furnace is necessary to grab our attention, and God turns up the heat. And you've probably been there at times where you're not listening or you're not paying attention or you're doing your own thing and God, he begins to turn up the heat a little bit. Well, the children of Israel, they were a rebellious people. They didn't trust God as they ought and they complained in the desert. Remember, they, they wanted to return to Egypt. God delivered them from Egypt and they said, we want to go back there. But you know what? God doesn't want us to return to Egypt. But sometimes we force him to turn up the heat so that we can take our eyes off of Egypt and we can set our eyes upon Jesus Christ, our deliverer. You see, he has called you and I to be a chosen vessel, a vessel of honor to bring honor to him. You know, Paul the Apostle talked talked about this in Romans chapter 9, verse 21. He said, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? He's speaking of the parable of the potter. So if you would turn to Jeremiah 18, we'll go through a few verses there. And God had instructed Jeremiah... He said, Jeremiah, I want you to go visit the potter's house because I have a lesson for you there. So here's what he said in verses 1 through 4. Jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel, the potter's wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. God said, I want you to go to the potter's house. Watch what he's doing. I want you to observe. And he saw the potter take this lump of clay, and of course he placed it on the potter's wheel. And he watched the hands of the potter press into this clay, guiding it, moving it, shaping it, working it. And verse 4 says the clay became marred or damaged. Well, and sometimes we become a little bit marred, don't we? Because of sin. Well, what did the potter do? He didn't rip that hunk of clay off the wheel and whip it against the wall and say, I'm done with you. No, it, he, he made it again. And he said to Jeremiah in verse 6, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in mine hand. He said, can I do what this potter is doing to you? Will you not allow me? And, you know, we can put our name in there too. Oh, Dan, can I do with you as the potter? As the clay is in the potter's hand, you are, so are you in mine. Yes, we're his clay, we're his workmanship. But, you know, who am I to resist the hand of the potter? Who am I to resist God? 
And, and Paul says, doesn't God reserve the right to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? In other words, let God be God and have his way. But it means that we need to trust the potter. You know, and if we're uncertain or if we doubt, might I suggest this? You know, sometimes God places his hand of pressure on us and, and maybe sometimes it feels a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit heavy, but when you think about it, think that he is our potter, we're the clay. Look at the hands of the potter. And then take your finger, as Thomas did, and place it in the print of the nails. And there you'll be able to identify with love, the love of the potter. Hands that are shaping you are the same, very same hands that pierced and bled for you. So might I suggest that we can absolutely trust the one who died for us. And the potter died so I can live. And, and shouldn't I be able to say, have it your way. Do whatever you want to do. Have your way with me and then allow him to do that. Well, how can I do that? Well, first, realize that you and I, we can't shape ourselves. For Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Imagine a lump of clay trying to form itself. Just sitting there, maybe grunting and groaning, but nothing's happening. Second, trust the potter and yield. Picture yourself on that potter's wheel and, and sense the hand of our precious God, our potter, shaping and fashioning us and feel the pressure and and feel your resistance. And, and, and sometimes we do feel resistance, don't we? we? We sense God directing us to do something. Maybe he's spoken to us through his word. Maybe he's just speaking to our hearts in a still, small voice, and we get a little bit resistant, say, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Well, who are we as the clay to say no to the potter? Well, oftentimes shaping in my life comes in the form of a trial. Trials shape our vessels we need to trust the potter. Trials are those things that press into our lives to direct us, right? Or in some cases, redirect us and cause change to shape us into the vessel that the potter already sees. He sees you as his finished work. I don't know too many people that enjoy trials or affliction. I'm not sure if anybody does, really, but there's value because those trials are a deliberate action of the potter on your life and shaping you into a vessel of honor. You know, Paul the Apostle realized this and he said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. In other words, it, it shapes us, it forms us. And he said a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which, or with the thing, excuse me, while we not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God does an eternal work in us, the hand of our potter. We need to allow his correction. You know, much the same as in the account of Jeremiah, the potter took the marred lump of clay and he didn't give up. Aren't you thankful God doesn't give up? When we mess up, he doesn't give up. He just keeps after us. He keeps on us. He works us. He, he shapes us. And it's, you know, family, it's all done in love. And sometimes, yes, sometimes the, the affliction and the trials hurt. 
But God never, ever, ever means it as harm. He just wants our will to be yielded to him. Hebrews 12, 11. It says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Amen to that. But grievous. Nevertheless, it, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Well, how do we become a vessel of dishonor? Well, we resist. And we try to shape ourselves just trust the potter. Let him have his way in you. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 22. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And, and, and there it is. It's yielding to the perfect will of God, choosing to live a godly life. Let's turn back to 1 Kings chapter 8 and read verses 51 through 53. For they, speaking of Israel, they be thy people and thine inheritance which thou broughtest forth out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of iron, that thine eyes may be open unto the supplication of thy servant and unto the supplication of thy people Israel, to hearken unto them in all that they call for unto thee. For thou didst separate them from among all people of the earth to be thine inheritance, as thou spakest by the hand of Moses thy servant when thou broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God." Solomon says, God, you separated your people from all the others. Your chosen ones, separated to be God's inheritance. God, you made them yours. This is what Solomon's inferring here. You made them yours, now keep them. You chose them, and you know them. And history tells us that they were rebellious people. But the rebellion certainly wasn't a surprise to God. So wherever they are, this is Solomon's heart, if they call out to you, if they look to you, if they repent and confess their sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive them their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And we see this in verse 50, and forgive thy people that have sinned against thee and all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed against thee. This is really incredible insight that Solomon has, because here he is. Here is Solomon. He is dedicating the temple. But he realizes something. He realizes he cannot dedicate this temple if the lives of the people that worship at the temple are not dedicated. He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, thy people that have sinned against thee in all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed. Well, how does this speak to us? Well, how does this speak to the church? Well, the church is, it's us. It's you and me. So during the week when no one was here and I walk into the sanctuary, I'm just walking into a place. It's not the church because you're not here. 
But when we come here together as the church, what happens? It all, it all comes alive, doesn't it? Because the body of Christ is working together. And when we do it, as Solomon said, forgive thy people for all their transgressions. Maybe when we get here, we, we need to say, Lord, I've sinned. Because I want this temple, this body, to be dedicated to you in its entirety. God, I've sinned. Forgive me. Your word is true that you are faithful to forgive me when I confess it to you. Are we willing to come together and say, Lord, you tell us to love one another as Christ loves us? But sometimes we struggle with that. But today I'm going to make that decision. Are, are we willing to say, Lord, this past week or today, whatever, I, I've placed other gods before you, whatever they might be, and I turn from that. When we gather together, are you willing to lay your burdens at the foot of the cross and, and say, Lord, forgive me because I've been trying to carry something that you've never designed for me to carry? Or maybe you came in here tonight complaining about the, the election results and came all riled up. <laughs> Are you willing to lay that down and say, Lord, I'm, I'm done with that. I trust you. Revive me. Refresh my spirit. Rebuild me. Lord, I'm laying all of this aside all of these things that weigh me down, the sin that easily besets me, I'm laying down because I, I want your presence in this place and I dedicate this temple to you and for your purposes. And I want to know that you're here. I want to hear your voice. I want to be overwhelmed by you and underwhelmed by the world. You see, we can't dedicate our worship or our service if we can't dedicate our lives because we're the church. And that's exactly what Solomon is doing. Lord, if they sin and they repent, Lord, hear from heaven and forgive them. There's that, that sequence again. If, then, if, then, if, then. And then and when Solomon is done, and it was so, verse 44 says, that when Solomon had made an end of praying, all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his, hand, on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, speaking of this very same section, it says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, there's a little more detail here, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house and the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. The fire of God, it fell upon the sacrifice to confirm forgiveness. The punishment didn't fall upon the people. The people weren't consumed by fire, but upon the substitute, right? Right? The sacrifice is on the altar. Redemption took place. Atonement took place. The same as it was with Jesus Christ on the cross. Our atonement, our redeemer. He was our sacrifice. 
in the fire, from, fire of God, the fire from heaven, judgment, the wrath of God for sin fell upon Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. It's remarkable what's taking place here. And Solomon stood, it tells us in verse 55, and he blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. There has not one word failed That's what he said. And this is true in our lives, isn't it? There's not one word that that will ever fail that God has spoken. You know, right around the corner is the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us this in verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Didn't say he's considering it. He shall with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, I find those words very comforting, don't you? And believe me, I don't wish our time away here. But I am looking forward to when that trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ rise first. But it doesn't mean I'm going to sit on my hands waiting around for it to happen. We've got work to do, family. We've got work to do. And you know, the words that Paul gave us here in 1 Thessalonians 4, those words will never fail. Never fail. Jude one twenty four. Jesus will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's a promise from God. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. An everlasting love, past, present, and into the future, that cannot be measured. That's his love. And you know, and family, that's just a sampling of God's promises. And there is not one word failed. And when you're going through a difficult day and you don't know how to handle the pressure and Satan wants to stand up and accuse God of not being truthful, just like he did in Genesis. Remember he lied? He's a liar. He lied to Eve and God's withholding something from you. But you know what? Tells us too that Satan's head is crushed. In Isaiah 54, 17, it says, No weapon that's formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. It's his righteousness, not ours. He says, don't you worry. There's nothing, no weapon formed against you that could possibly, possibly prosper. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. You want safety? Run to the tower. Psalm 46, verse 1. 
God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. What else do we need, family? But there's more. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over thee. We got some angel power going too, don't we? To keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. What a great God. What a faithful God. He is our redeemer. He is our comforter. And you know what? Satan would challenge all of this. Our circumstances sometimes challenge all of this too, don't they? Yes, there is pain in this life, but you know what? Not one word of God's promises to us will ever fail. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my word will never pass away. So, where are you tonight? Has the enemy been circling your camp? Trying to beat you down? Then you look to that place of sacrifice. You look to Calvary and ask the Lord to forgive. Have you been afflicted by circumstances somehow, some way? Have you been afflicted somehow by loved ones? Maybe you're on the drifter's road and need to get back to the place of intimacy with your Savior. Here's what you can do. Be still so you know that it's God that's pursuing you. Be still and know that he's God. Listen, not one word will fail. Not a single word of God's. He hasn't recalled his promises to you. If you've been in sin, his promises still hold and his love for you hasn't changed. And if there's some area in your life, some compromise, then confess your sin for God is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You as God's own, if you humble yourself and pray and seek his face and turn from your wicked ways, he will hear from heaven, he will will forgive and he will heal Again, as Solomon said, there is not a failed single word of all his good promise. But maybe you're wrestling tonight. Maybe you're wrestling with condemnation because you've been listening to the devil rather than the word of God. You need to look up and realize Jesus has paid the price in full. And when he said it is finished, what did he mean? It is finished, it's done. So, so please, by the grace of God, don't think you can unfinish what God said is finished. And sometimes we do that, don't we? Why? Because there's an adversary, the devil, who roams around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But you know what? He's no match for the line of the tribe of Judah. There's not a failed, not failed a single word of all his good promise. You know, God has known you even before you were born. And he still brought you into this world. He knew where your struggles would lie. And he still saved you. And he still made you his own. And he wants you to walk as his own. And he wants to restore the days, the weeks, the months, the years that the locust has eaten. And he wants to take any ashen areas of your life and make beauty. That's our God. He's a faithful God. And he's our potter. 
The question is, will you and I, will we allow him to be our personal potter? He wants to be personal, and he wants us to be personal with him. And all he's asking of this clay, just yield to my nail-pierced hands. And they're pierced for you, our faithful God. We serve a faithful God. We know a faithful God. And we love our faithful God, don't we? And there's not a single word of his that's going to fail. Father, we thank you for the precious word. There has not failed one word of all your good promise. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember, Lord, that you know all about us and you still love us. You still care deeply for us and you want what's best for us. And give us the strength to just to let go and, and let you be God in our lives. We certainly don't want to build any of our, our personal kingdoms. We, we want to just, Lord, be part of building your kingdom. And we can only do that as we yield to you. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us and strengthen us for your purposes tonight. And as, as the world around us seems to be swirling out of control, we know that, God, you've got it. You've got it, and you've got us. You hold us in the palm of your hand. Our name is engraved in your palm. And we thank you, Father, that we belong to you, that you purchased us. You own us. And may your ownership over our lives be reflected in the way that we choose to live our lives. We need your power to do that. We need your strength. And we trust in your spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.